0: Hello listeners, my name is Casey, host of the Cult Vault podcast, a long format interview-based show that focuses on cults, high-demand groups, captive organisations and more. Each week, I interview a different cult survivor who brings a story of coercion and exploitation along with their own fight for freedom. With nearly 200 survivor interviews from all over the world, you can also find deep dives into infamous cults interviews with leading experts in the field and understand more about how cults exist all around us and none of us are safe. Each month I feature a different author on the show who has penned a compelling memoir about their cult experiences which we discuss at length on the show with copies of their books available to listeners. You will never be short of insightful and moving content here at the Cult Vault podcast available on all major platforms.
1: Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Truth That Heals podcast. I am your host, Ryan Anthony Hernandez. For today's episode, titled Uncultured, we will be listening to author and cult survivor, Daniela Mesenek Young. She was raised in the religious cult Children of God, and it was an abusive cult. And therefore, I want to give a warning for the listeners that some of the themes in this episode will be about sexual abuse and also she'll be sharing with us her experiences in the US army uh, while she was serving in Afghanistan and again some of the themes in this episode will be disturbing disturbing but overall as you see the title of this podcast is the truth that heals and there is so much truth that our guest daniela has to share with us today and i hope that you learn something important from what she shares it can be resilience or you might learn uh, that it is possible to heal it is possible to overcome it is possible to be a badass. And also she is an author and the title of her memoir is Uncultured. I will be leaving a link in the show the show notes uh, where you can find her memoir. And I highly encourage you go buy a copy, go buy two copies, and hey, go buy three copies and share it with others. Spread the word because this book is a must-read for anyone, especially for someone who has uh, gone through trauma and wants healing. Uh, this memoir, for me, has given me the inspiration and has, help, has helped me to understand that, yes, healing is possible. So, I'm going to end this uh, introduction here, but uh, please go ahead and go support daniela young go buy your book check it out and without further ado uh, here's our interview thank you very much welcome back everyone you are listening to the truth that heals i am your host ryan anthony hernandez and i'm joined here with danielle mestanek young i hope i pronounced that correctly Daniela. Daniela, oh my God.
2: <laughs> you did great on, on Mestadak.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, she is the author of the book, and I have it here. I've read it, Uncultured, and if you're watching the YouTube, we're both holding it up. It is a bestseller, and I strongly recommend it uh, for everyone, uh, whether you're in a cult, whether you're out of a cult, whether you've never been in a cult, or whether you're in the armed forces, for anybody, I strongly recommend it. That you read this book. so thank you so much, uh, Daniela, for joining us, today. How are you doing?
2: Thank you so much for having me here. I am it, it's a good day. Um, and I would say if you've been in any group,
1: you should read this book. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I as you know, I've been on my own healing journey, and I've been on Twitter very active, and that's where I found uh, many survivors, including you, um, Can you briefly introduce the audience, those who don't know you, to a little bit about your story?
2: Yes. So I was born and raised in a pretty serious religious cult known as the Children of God, also known as the Family International. That was, you know, when they tried to rebrand from the bad publicity. So we don't let them do that. We call them the Children of God. And my mother was born and raised in the children of God. My grandfather not only was the one that joined, but was sort of highly, highly connected in the prophet's world. And I grew up kind of, you know, I say every cult has a cult within a cult. Um, and I grew up in the leadership circles of the children of God cult. Um, When I was 15, I got myself excommunicated, got away, came to literally a new country because though I'm American, I had not lived in America, um, got dropped off here, put myself through high school and college, ended up joining the United States Army after college, which I'm sure we'll get into my reasons for that. Mm-hmm. And you know, the book starts with me at basic training, doing a ridiculous task and realizing, oh, I just joined another cult. Um, And I say it's interesting because I didn't necessarily think of that as a bad thing. I thought of that as, okay, I know how to do this, right? Like, I did this to myself. I know what I'm doing. I signed up for this, which are all thought-stopping cliches. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, went full bore into my military career as a woman intelligence officer. And so... I say that Uncultured is bringing you into both of these cultures, what it's like to be a child in a religious sex cult, and then somewhat paralleling it to what it's like to be a woman in the United States Army, which is, you know, again, another closed-off society where women are second-class citizens, and with, of course, a lot of expected parallels for me in the militarism and the institutionalized group identity, and a lot of unexpected parallels for me in the rape culture and the sexism and the misogyny um, and the sort of bashing of individualism, and that's the book.
1: Yeah, so people have to, it to was definitely, definitely read
2: it. It was selected by Goodreads as one of the best books of the year. Um, you know, I definitely voted. Lost to definitely lost to Chandler Bing from Fred.
1: Okay. <laughs> hey, it's it's really worth reading, and especially for survivors like myself. Um, because it gives a different context because in my environment it really focused on extreme purity culture where it was like if you were to see someone from the opposite sex you have to like you know hide and run and it became so it became silly mm-hmm. and then I'm reading your uh, your journey and it was totally not that purity culture it was a it was different it was uh, very much different
2: but can I point out something important about that? Yes. So, first of all, for the first almost decade, the children of God was incredible purity culture. He, you know, David Berg came out of absolute evangelicalism. His mom was a revivalist, big, you know, tent preacher in the 30s. Um, and he he did start it with, you know, complete control. And in my opinion, the one thing he did. Because in, if you recall, in the 70s is the time of new religious movements. It's the time of cults. And like any sort of good businessman, he needed to make his group stand out. So what he changed was the sex. But it was actually in no way different from purity culture. Because purity culture is about controlling sex. And all he did was reverse the control right? So he called it free love. I call it forced polyamory because your sex life was not your own in the beginning, no matter what age you were. And you were expected. They literally had in the communes what they called a sharing schedule. And you were expected to have sex with whoever essentially requested of you or the leaders thought um, you needed to. And then, of course, they started using it for religious prostitution. But it, it is been interesting to me as I've done my, you know, my master's in group behavior and these studies and realizing it's the control of sex, like to the point that I think any organization that is telling you who you should or shouldn't be having sex with, it's going to register kind of high on the toxicity potential meter, um, which is of course all religions.
1: I find it very, um, Interesting that you point that out because you know, growing up in this extreme purity culture, um, if a girl is dressed, let's say, uh you know how like in these cults, sometimes they want you to dress, especially in these purity cults, like super modest, where it's like over and beyond, you're like covered up. Um, and then let's say you see another girl wearing jeans, wearing a t-shirt, and that girl woman unfortunately gets raped or violated somehow i would hear in these circles and happens so much that they'll say oh she was asking for it or it's it's her fault um what is your response to that kind of mentality because i hear that so often in these circles where they're blaming the victim and yet the the abuser doesn't seem to get that same uh Uh, attention so like how do you respond to that yeah
2: my you know my my first response is I in uncultured you see me in Afghanistan get raped in military fatigues and armed right and I think like it is especially poignant because nothing I was doing of course was provocative and right the larger question like of course It is shame culture and it is shame culture is all about control and it is all about, you know, controlling the women and controlling everything about women really comes down to that and they can tie it into religion in many different ways and they do and you know, this is why we have things like International Denim Day. I don't know if you've heard of, there was a a court case in the UK where a judge determined that the woman could not have possibly been raped because her jeans were too tight to have gotten them off herself. Um, Which, you know, and and I think another thing that you see in Uncultured is you see different kinds of rape, right? So you see when I, as a 14-year-old girl, am I think what we think of as rape, raped, right? Like violently raped. But then you also see my mother who at 14 is impregnated by a 39 year old man who in her mind, she wants to have sex with. Um, But her mind has been groomed since birth to want to have sex with these older men. Um, And so many people get in my arguments and try to say that these two things are not the same. And like, I'm sorry, rape is rape. And every version of not only is every version of telling people what to wear about control, but it's almost always about maintaining the current toxic status quo in control.
1: Um, and definitely and, talk
2: about that on the military side too.
1: <laughs> yeah. And in the military, um, I, you know, me, I've never joined the military, but, you know, reading uh, your experiences. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking because you expect, you know, me as a, as a civilian, I expect that, um, our soldiers, they're being, you know, they're, they're safe, uh, in a sense, because I know you're, you're getting shot at, but it seems that you're getting shot at from the back too, by your own teammates. And that's just, um, it's mind boggling because you expect that, uh, protection.
2: Right. And, you know, that's another really important thing that I wanted to show in Uncultured, which is, first of all, you know, anytime you're operating in a system not made for you, it's dangerous for you. It's harder for you. You are disadvantaged. And so, you know, for my six foot two, white, blonde, blue eyed husband, who's a helicopter pilot, right, his his 20 year career in the Army was relatively easy, um, whereas my six and a half year career was incredibly difficult. and. You know, um I'm losing my train of thought there, but oh yeah. So, you know, one of the like, poignant scenes I wanted to show was me going out on these patrols with 25 American soldiers in- into a, a combat mission, right? So we are expecting to get shot at and we are expecting to have each other's backs, but I am pulled aside and told by a senior officer to watch my back against the American soldiers that I'm going out with. So it's exactly what you said, right? Here I am and you know and it's the the dehumanization and the thinking of women as separate and apart like it's not just about sexual threat because I also had a situation where I was sent into an uncleared building with just my female translator who's unarmed, so one single American soldier into a building that wasn't cleared and back out again because they don't they weren't thinking of me. They're thinking of me as the girl on the team that's here to be the girl on the team. They're not thinking of me as a US soldier who, you know, an infantry officer would never dream of sending a US soldier into a cleared building, uncleared building alone. Right? So it's like there's all these different levels of dehumanization that happen to the point that literally repealing the combat ban for women, so allowing women to go into active war makes us far, far safer inside of that institution. Um, And you know, the other thing that stood out to me when I was trying to publish this book is, of course, I'm talking about the parallels between being a child on the sex call and a woman in the military. And I'm also getting rejections from editors saying, we don't do children of God because the abuse is too horrible. And we don't do books by military women because nobody reads them, right? Which brings me to exactly what you were saying, like, you don't expect the military to be like that. And that's because we don't hear the stories of women in the military. And of course, everybody hears my story and goes, she went from a sex cult to being a captain in the US Army. Wow, what an overcoming journey, right? And trust me, that was the first way I wrote the story many times. But it's actually about showing, like, we disappear behind the high commune walls of the Department of Defense, and we have all of these experiences that we are just expected to suck it up, you signed up for this, you should be glad to be here, you know, all these thought-stopping cliches, which are things cults use when people try to complain about injustices, and I started to realize, you know, like, because our story is never getting told, like the culture of the U.S. Army, our perspective as women who are literally told we are second class on day number one, we are not getting, you know, America doesn't have a picture of what our experience is like in that church.
1: Well, thank you for sharing that because, um, like you said, it's it's time that people hear the true story, the full story, and not just... Uh, have this, you know, this make believe because, you know, we, I be, before I believed that everything was just nice and dandy for, you know, men and women in the armed forces. And then reading this, it kind of just brings in a new perspective. And I think I really appreciate uh, maybe that's not the right word, but I'm it's really uh, informative that you put there that, you know, that you mentioned right now that when you were. Uh, unfortunately, you, you know, being uh, taken advantage of. You weren't dressed provocatively. You weren't dressed, or you weren't inviting these things. And I think so many times in these extreme cults, the narrative is that the victim is always the one at fault. Um, what did it take? You know, how did you find your voice? Because you know, from being a victim to saying, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to speak my truth. Uh, What uh, propelled you to take a strong leap like this?
2: So, you know, I definitely think like, I spent most of my life resisting the cult's propaganda, but the one thing that sort of seeped in was the us versus them. And really not even the us versus them, but it's the fear mongering of you're not going to fit in anywhere on the outside. Nobody's going to love you on the outside. And of course, when you come out of a cult or when you come out of many years in the military, you don't fit right in. Right. Like I was just watching Ella enchanted the other day where she falls out of a cartoon and becomes like a human in New York city. And like, of course you're not going to fit in. Like, of course, it's this comedy of errors. Right. So I think like, if I can give anything to somebody just realizing they've come out of a cult or just coming out of a cult is like, just, just go easy on yourself, right? Like think of it as this comedy of errors, like you would see in Mean Girls or in like, some of these movies, right? Where people come from nowhere and don't fit in because you are going to experience that. And it does not mean that the cult was right. And it does not mean that any of the shame is yours and does not mean that you're a bad person. Um, Does not mean you have to move all over the world to find your perfect spot. Um, You know, all of these things that I did. But I think the thing for me, and I will say in my case, On the surface, it's somewhat easier because I left the cult when I was 15, so I rejected it at 15. So it's a bit easier for me to have this understanding of like none of that shame was mine than it is for people who either joined their cults or stayed in into their adulthood. And I like, I don't like any of that, right? Like cults are about toxic control and whenever you got free is awesome and none of that shame is yours. But so for me, when I was 22, and I was already a lieutenant in the army, and I was already, you know, outwardly successful, but inwardly struggling very much. And I was like, okay, I need to put context to this experience, right? So I sat down and for the first time, I googled the Family International and up came the websites by the ex members that I had always avoided, because, you know, they're just victim, uh, you know, they're just victimizing themselves, like, whatever that narrative we hear is and I started looking through it and I came across you know the page of sort of like the known pedophiles and sort of like really bad uncles from our cult and of course my big abuser is on there but so is my biological father right and this is like the second time basically that I've seen a photo of his face and first time I knew his last name and you know from that this sort of started a journey of finding siblings and all that but it was also that moment where it was like like my father the person that gave me half of their dna is like on the internet as a famous pedophile and what am i going to do with that right am i going to let that spiral me even worse or am i going to realize and i think it took me three or four years to Go down this path but like none of that shame was mine right like none of that shame was mine cults are abusive whether they drew you in or whether you were born in there right like of course we all did stuff that we regret in a cult because that is what group norms do to us especially under course of control but once you walk away from it once you start your healing journey right none of that shame is yours and it's the shame piece that I think really keeps us so lost. And once you start speaking out, you really start to see the difference between, you know, we're all survivors of trauma. We're all survivors of cultic abuse, but there are the ones that don't carry the shame and there are the ones that do. And I think that's the biggest
1: difference. Totally. Um, I think for me, it just, I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to, you know, Google too much about it. I don't want to talk about it because for me it was just I was just so ashamed, and I I ended up leaving the cult that I was in, you know, thinking that my life was going to be a curse. And you know, it, it, if you really allow it, it can really, you know, it it keeps that control over you even after you leave. And right now I'm on this journey of finding myself. And you were explaining earlier how, you know, you, you joined one cult and then you join another, um, and, but also your, your husband, um, well, the yeah, toxic I mean, you,
2: relationship, the one, one cult in between. Yep.
1: <laughs> well, you, you said, you said something earlier, I think before the actual recording where, um, now that you're both out, you're on your current husband, uh, now you're getting into different styles you're able to like find yourself can you kind of elaborate on how you know cults take away your individuality and how when you're finally you know mentally and physically out how how that how you or someone else can find uh their style
2: yeah um you know so i i think there's three different stages to leaving a cult and the first stage is leaving realizing having the crack of the brainwashing leaving the second stage is figuring out why you were in a cult and what impacts it had on your personality so for me figuring out why I was in a cult was because of generations of my family so that brought me to studying systems and all of this stuff but you know no matter where you want to place the blame I still have all of those impacts on my personality and I realized that you know because from the ages of one to six, what you're supposed to be doing is developing your individual personality in a supportive, loving environment. And I got the complete 100% exact opposite of that. So, and then I spent so much of my adult life, just kind of first living in hiding, trying so hard to fit. And then even once I started talking about it, kind of like trying to find these gurus or trying to find almost like a rule right how am I going to dress you get out of the military you don't know how to dress so you're like what am I going to do right like what's the what's the rule and the more I started studying cults the more I realized that people are drawn to cults and other forms of extreme groups because it gives you clarity it gives you you know people that are just like you and so the opposite you know I think staying away from extremism is living in the gray and the opposite of being a cult member is figuring out who you are and finding your style and we spend as cult survivors we spend so much of our time trying to fit in and what we need to find is belonging and belonging comes when you know who you are right so kind of almost accidentally because I was a woman leaving the military this centered on style for me and if you're watching the uh video, you can see I have very giant lovely earrings on. And you know, that became a thing for me where because in the cult we didn't wear jewelry in the military, women can't wear jewelry. And so for me, like earrings became this like focal point of expression. And you know, my husband had a similar journey where I kept trying to encourage him to wear these like fun things. And he, he looked at me one day and he said, That's just not my style. And he was about to retire from the military, and I was like, Babe since you were 17 years old the only clothes you've had are loungewear and uniform all right so you don't actually know your style and now he is you know very very creative and it's so much fun um and then our little daughter is a fashionista so we got a when we got a dog his name became style which we loved because again we've all had our our journeys and it you know speaking of healing right I think often like raising children after cults is, seems more triggering than healing but you know there are these beautiful moments where like we can you know we let her do what she wants with her hair do what she wants with her clothes as long as these things are safe and you know reasonable and like she's so expressive of her own style and she you see how it's developing her in so many different parts of life um so yeah i, I think that's like a tip for people is like find your way of expressing yourself that makes you you and that's where I think is going to help you in your transition and finding belonging
1: and I think that's a golden tip because you know for me when I came out I had really no one to to really talk to when it came to healing after the cult uh, because I didn't want to talk about it I was just I was just so ashamed but immediately I just tried to fit in and while trying to fit in I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing the advice that you're giving now, which is to find your own identity first. And now I'm, you know, I've been doing like for the past three years, you know, getting into my own identity. And that led me to doing this because, you know, I love doing podcasting. I love writing. I love, uh, you know, i I rather do something that I'm passionate about than uh, just fitting in. But for so long, I was just, aiming to look normal and to look like everything was was nice and dandy but inside I was dying every single day
2: yeah you know and like one of the basic features of cults right it's us versus them it's separation Mm -hmm. and it's thinking that you're better than everyone right so that is that is in there and so when you go to transition out it just like you just, you feel like you have to fit. You feel like you have to to justify it, right? And, and culture about like making yourself the individual smaller. And it's, mm-hmm. I, I think it's one of the battles of my life. is like, no, you're allowed to take up space. You're allowed to literally physically be any size you want, which, you know, I struggle with in my head. Like you're allowed to wear whatever you want. Like in, in people that are trying to quash that, are usually not the people that you'd need kind of on your journey, you know? And even hearing you say, you know, like, at first we don't wanna talk about it. And I think that's kind of true for all of us. And then when we do start trying to talk about it and you see this in veteran world, you see this in cult world, because nobody can like just leave a total control group and then just never have anyone else that understands that experience, right? So eventually you're gonna find other cult survivors or other veterans or other, you know, if you were in prison or sort of whatever these were to share that experience. But then we have this thing that we do that I think is a little bit toxic in the survivor world where we're like, okay, but we only want to talk about the good things, right? Which really, let's not talk about that. It was negative, which like really becomes cult apologizing, right? And it becomes like, it's not, don't talk about the cult it's don't talk about the cult in a nasty way that makes me have feelings, right? And so it just becomes, we only say positive things about the cult or about our experience, right? We only talk about the funny things. We only talk about the good things. And like, it's interesting for me because what changed in my life is I just stopped being willing to do that. Like I stopped being willing to let people whitewash it for the sake of good times. So of course I'm now seen as combative because I don't call it the family, a nice international missionary group. I call it the children of God that traffic children for sex and labor. And, you know, that doesn't go over well at Christmas dinner in my family. And, and of course that's hard, but it really wasn't, I think until I, I made this line. Right. And I was like, I'm going to stop apologizing for them. They don't get to be called a missionary group anymore. Like they were a cult. I know this, like I need to start putting the right labels and surrounding my myself With other survivors, and the secret is they can be of any cult um, that are doing the work and that are not just trying to sort of polish and whitewash everything up.
1: And as you're saying that, I'm examining myself because now I'm, I'm remembering uh, after I left the Philippines, because uh, that's where I was for like seven years. So after I left, I decided to live in Australia for a little bit. So I go to Australia and I I'm traveling, you know, road tripping around. uh, I think I was in Sydney or Melbourne. So I'm there and I'm with some ex-members from my group. And I remember we're eating and we're at someone's house, you know, drinking some wine. And this is my first time drinking wine and I'm just having a good time. But then one of the members starts talking about the bad experiences. And me, I was that I was still afraid to really, look at the bad and you know I was I, like you were saying why washing it let's not talk about the bad stuff you know uh, uh it had some good things you know I met you and I met everyone else here there and so there are some good things and I thought that this person really wanted to express himself and now I'm like damn I should have, I should have but hey you know it's it's a learning experience mm-hmm. and um,
2: and I you know I actually had to say that to my family because my you know my particular cult experience was especially horrible even within that cult and so at some point i had to say to very close family like please stop saying to me that yes your lives were crazy but we had so much fun and such a good time like yeah i grew up in brazil yeah i appreciate like certain cultural things like there can be beauty to be found in everything there is you know I say if you don't believe the army is a cult just ask a veteran to tell you their experience they will say horror story horror story horror story and then say but I made the best friends of my life and I miss it Mm -hmm. right (laughs) and you know we even do the same thing in in veteran world where it's like oh that's the funny thing is we talk about the horrible stuff we're like oh remember that time we just had to sleep for three days on a floor blah 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 and and not be like but guys, it was actually pretty abusive and there was no reason for it. And, you know, like anytime you try to talk about it from an outside context, people get upset. And, you know, actually this was one of specific things that I wanted to do in Uncultured. Is anytime you talk about the experience with other members of that cult, they'll say, oh, well, you have to understand, right? Which is, cult apologizing and finally i just said no you don't have to understand you just have to say that when daniella's mom turned 12 years old her dad who she hadn't seen since she was nine showed up offered her a glass of wine and then she was asked to make a list of the men she wanted to have sex with first right and everybody that's not in that cult understands you know and, it, and, it, and we get so into know there was a documentary done on the children of God and all of the fellow survivors were like oh my god it was so sensationalized they kept calling them prison camps and I was like a commune in the Philippines surrounded by armed guards where 11 to 14 year olds are sent for hard labor and physical beatings and re-indoctrination like that is what the world calls a prison camp just because we called it a victor camp and put a nice funny spin on it doesn't make it not what it is right? So, you know, I, I know I'm saying a lot about this, but I think in the healing journey, it is really important to know that like many, many, many of your fellow survivors have not wanted to deal with their trauma. And the way they keep it down is by putting this whitewash on everything by saying that everything was fine. That is what I did for the first 10 years. Like I am fine. I'm trilingual. I have these, the, all of these things about me and like there's no psychological version where that works out <laughs> like, like trauma will out end. and if you successfully keep it down for long enough it's going to end up hurting your kids hurting your husband or your spouse partner right like and and the people around you and so I really think like that's another one of those things you can watch for and when you start learning how to like sap people from whitewashing your experience they it, it's uncomfortable because it makes them you know oh shit they were in the same place right yeah. so if you're calling it child labor and not jesus job time then they have to think of it as child labor too and that's uncomfortable for people and you know i tell everyone that it's like coming out of the closet and congratulations it's much better out here and living as an integrated whole person is so joyful but you will get invited to fewer family parties
1: well i i really appreciate that you mentioned how you know they'll use they use different they'll use whitewash terms you know instead of child labor it's you know working for jesus (laughs) or you know they'll 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 put it in a way so that you can accept it because you know in in my experience it was absolute obedience and some of the obedience were just so harsh and dehumanizing but then people or like recently on on facebook i i put a not a tweet i put a a post there about you know some of the abuses that i went through and the solitary confinements and just just sharing my experiences and some of the other not even survivors i wouldn't say survivors but like supporters of the founder are responding with well, you deserved it because, you know, they're trying to give you God's discipline. That's how God expresses his love. And back then I would have said, oh yeah, you know, th- this is God's love. I I deserve the- these beatings. This is my uh, penance or, you know, th- things like that. And, you know, hearing you explain how that's just, you know, bearing and suppressing the trauma more and more. Um, I'm very thankful that that you brought that up.
2: Yeah. I mean, my next book is literally going to have a chapter called there were good people in the sex cult too, because like, that's what it sounds like, right? Like that, like, you know, people it's like, Oh, you can't just separate it into like, there was this bad stuff. And there was also this good stuff. No, like when you were in a group that exercised toxic control over you, everything touched the toxicity, right? Everything. And you need to, like, I, you see this at the end of the book, like, I took my family back to Brazil, a completely different part of Brazil, where we made wonderful memories with brand new friends. And so, like, I now re- have re-owned Brazil and its place in my life, separate from the cults. I also went back to the market I used to beg outside of and bought a bunch of jewelry. But but you didn't maybe, beg like, anymore. To, like, like, I had to go make my own memories that were just good, because every memory, whether it's good or not, and I show you this in Uncultured, where I'm remembering myself standing on the beach in Copacabana as a child, which for me are very good memories. But the context there is that in two hours, I'm going back to that van and and back to that religious prison camp where I live. And, you know, one of the things about reading fellow survivors stories and one of the reasons I will say that I'm almost lucky that I grew up in such an extreme cult because it is recognized like, Oh, you grew up in the children of God. All right. You have problems. Like you have a right to write this book, but then other people will read it whether they're in a different cult or whether they were in a toxic relationship or, you know, like, like cults don't have a, uh, chokehold on trauma or on coercive control and so so much of our learning journeys is just hearing someone else's experience and being like oh my god that applies in this way in my experience right and then you get it and you like put that in your toolkit of a way to understand trauma and you know I i started this journey at 22 and i wrote the book at 33. so you know i did this for over a decade and i wrote it with two other women who had not been in cults right so like we did a lot of work to name the thing and add the context and so you know you as a survivor of any kind of coercive control trauma you're going to read the story and it's page turning and i think it's pretty fascinating but you'll also have those moments, right, where, like you said, like you were in, you're a man in a purity cult, which is on the surface, completely different from a little girl in a sex cult. And yet so many of our exper- experiences were very similar, right? And I, I tell people, I think you have to read five, five different cult accounts before you start realizing that your cult fits into the model of of every coercive control group
1: well it took me a while to actually you know acknowledge holy crap what i was in was a cult um what was it that opened your eyes that the children of god was a cult and i know you you put this in your book but you know for oh no that's fine
2: um okay so you know, first of all the first line in the book is the first rule of cults is you're never in a cult mm-hmm. and i say this because we spent so much time my entire life defending why we weren't a cult like cult was the dirtiest word you could say mm-hmm. and of course when i think back it's like you know i've never been in a non-cult organization that spent a lot of time talking about how they weren't a cult so you know i think that's one of the first signs but of course you know, I grew up with this. So this was the only context I had. And I was never, ever, ever exposed to an outside person who could tell me that it might be a cult. So we are completely insulated. And the first time I saw live news on television was on 9-11. And I'm 14 years old, and we've just come to America, and I am watching towers fall down. And hearing the adults around me praising God for his promise judgment being fulfilled right and just like not not cheerful but definitely like yep this is Jesus and i am watching this you know horrific devastation and then they start to you know the newscasters start talking about the terrorists and calling it religious extremism and i had that moment of you know, this is, I think, a pattern throughout my life where I hear a term that just perfectly describes the first time I heard toxic patriotism. I was like, yep, what that is. And I at 14 was kind of like, "Uh, I think we're also religious extremists. And that was my, you know, crack in the brainwashing. And you can be in a cult as long as your cognitive dissonance can stretch to to you know, make space for you holding these things that don't make logical sense. And then I think everyone has their crack in the brainwashing. And it may take you a while. For me, of course, it was very young. It took me another year and a half to get out. And it took me two years after that to realize it was a cult. And the first time I said the word cult in relation to the children of God, like, it, I literally did feel like I was dying. Um, but you know how when you like you drop a glass and it doesn't shatter and you're like, oh good, great. But you know, you're just gonna be washing that glass one day in the sink and it's just gonna explode in your hand and and cut you. And I feel like that is, that's what the crack in the brainwashing is like. It's like once you have that first niggling little thought that this doesn't make sense, it's just gonna grow from there. And that is why cults work so, so hard. On never letting your thoughts be idle, making sure you always have a buddy, and then using their thought stopping cliches to, you know, to to keep you there. But for me, you know, I think for everyone, nine eleven was a life changing moment. Yeah. There's the world before nine eleven. There's the world after, and I just I could never see it as anything um,
1: non toxic. Yeah, so it's a lot of toxicity. Um, and especially from a young age, but you're different. And I really appreciate this about your book because in your book, I mean, you've always been uh, very strong minded. I think you've always been, I mean, from reading your book, you sound very strongly opinionated and I can probably I'm trying, cause like we're different in the sense where when I was in, I was mentally in like all the way gung ho And you as a little girl you're like i'm here but you know mentally you're like you're somewhere else you're like i don't believe this shit um but like what like how'd you come to that conclusion that that this was all bs when you were in the the cult
2: (laughs) so you know one of the things that um readers suggested to me and i don't have an official diagnosis but i'm pretty sure i believe that maybe it's not that I'm different, maybe it's that I'm autistic. Um, And as such, you know, I like logic. Like I have literally toyed with, um, you can move to Barcelona and get a master's degree in logic for 2000 euros, just in case anyone's looking for that, Um, you know, and i toyed with the idea of doing that, like, I I just, I love it so much, and I think that is how I like to understand the world, which can be problematic, but for me, you know, when I was three, my mom taught me to read and told me, I think, a very rebellious thing that, like, books are awesome, Um, because we then proceeded to ban all books for the rest of my life the only things we read were the things done by the children of God and like very I probably read five novels before the age of 14 and Alice in Wonderland was one of them um but you know it just it just never made logical sense to me right it was like you can't tell me on the one hand books are good and but we don't read them because they're bad right and so I was always on this logic thing and I you know my experience was I tried really 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 hard to buy into the army to like be mentally in it the way you were and you know I I did okay on the kind of like being the perfect soldier front but I just couldn't, again, it was like the logic.
1: Mentally, it, you couldn't.
2: I just can't mentally get there. And then for me, I think because so many experiences in the cult are not your normal American experiences, it was like, wow, you can't kind of make me believe, you know, like, you're just never going to make me believe America's just hands down the best country in the world. I'm sorry, I've seen other countries, you know, like, um. I know it was really these kind of contrasting cultures that got me interested in studying culture and cult, but I I tried really hard in the army and I think, I think there's a difference, like if you fit in the group versus if you don't fit, right? And I really never fit in any group. And I think the only way for me to be happy is for me to embrace that I was born to stand out uh but you know spending seven years trying really 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 hard to fit in the army in a way i never did in the cult i think they like taught me a lot of things you know and i think i had a a more similar experience to you in my military years maybe than i did in my cult years
1: so in the Um, in the children of god you were physically present but your mind wasn't there um in the military you're physically there your mind is kind of trying to be there but where was your heart during that time
2: oh i think maybe i was born without a heart
1: <laughs>
2: uh no i yeah, you know, I think for me, too, it was like I was operating under this belief that you can put the trauma behind you. And so, if I do the military well, right, and if I am like I became a captain in the Army, right? Like clear, easy success story. Like everyone in the world can agree that becoming a captain in the United States Army is boom, successful. And then I was like, why am I not okay? You know, but just that, like, trying for so hard for so long to buy in. Um, whereas, as you mentioned, like, I don't even sometimes consider myself a cult survivor. I just was, like, those people's prisoners for 15 years, right? Like, I was a prisoner by a cult for 15 years, so I know a lot about cults. But I I didn't have this, like, true belief system to get over. Um, but, yeah, I don't think I, you know, in the military, I... I was good at being an intelligence officer. Like one of the skills you really need to have that I think many Americans who become intelligence officers don't have is the ability to completely get outside of your own world and understand. Like the people trying to kill you are people. Their cult makes sense to them too, right? Like you have to try to understand it. And I was really good at that. But I never, I would say my heart was never in it as far as like, we use so much racism when we're training to kill people i cannot be okay with that like we torture right like i cannot be okay with that and just american exceptionalism like i never you know i flew a brazil flag above my desk during the world cup when i was in afghanistan and in the you know, like i just i i don't think again like it's not all or nothing right like you you can do a good job in a system, in an organization, without letting it own all of you. Um, but it makes it really hard to be in a high-control organization if you want to try to hang on to your own individuality. And, That's you know, it's cool. funny because by the time I was getting ready to to get out of the army, right at the end of Uncultured, our, our boss, who was this really great mentor, Scott Halter, he had us do these, like... 360 reviews for each other but they were not connected right the, I think the only good way to make these useful is not connect them to pay promotion anything right you're just Ooh. you're just giving each other feedback and like probably five out of the seven of my lieutenant mafia were like Captain is an amazing intelligence officer and she needs to get out of the army so bad <laughs> you, know? <laughs> I was like, you know what I think I'm gonna listen yeah. right uh when when you're just and again it's like It's, you know, I do think the military has a lot of toxicities, but there was also the like, I just didn't fit. And so a lot of things that maybe are okay for some people were utterly toxic
1: to me. So uh, we're going to be wrapping it up soon. So these will be like the last final questions. Um, But still, I, I also wanted to bring like, you know, my experience and, you know, kind of compare and contrast our experiences because in your journey, when you left uh, the children of God, you didn't just ask to leave. You didn't say, hey, I'm, I'm ready to leave. Uh, can I go now? Uh, how was that? Can you um, uh, walk us through how you got out of there?
2: Yeah. So I describe it as like when you make trouble in a high control group, they try to fix you. And exorcisms are not fun. Sure. Right. And so as a troublemaking child from birth, I was very, very familiar with every form of punishment. And I realized like you, if you wanted them to let you go, you have to essentially be the devil, right? You have to break the biggest unforgivable rule, um, which in our case, being a sex cult, got flipped and became like we do not have sex with outsiders we do not fellowship with outsiders in any way unless we're trying to convert them and so you know you see me and there's a link out there maybe we can add it to your podcast uh they they published this excerpt in Australia this chapter where I'm literally climbing over the walls of the commune to sneak out in the middle of the night to go have sex with a systemite boy you know outside boy because then I'm like, I'm ruined, right? And and they will be like, okay, fine, go. Because we don't want you to ruin everyone else. Instead of like, there was no way they were going to let me go because my family was sort of too important and it looks bad for them. And so I had to break the worst rules. And at that point, they were like, we don't want this girl around for another three years <laughs> infecting other people. So you know, they let me go. And by let me go, I say my parents found a stepsister who I'd met three times and they dropped me off with her in Texas.
1: It was heaven, (laughs) right?
2: Heaven, yeah. she left the cult only three years before, you know, so she's (laughs) 10 years older than me, but she's still very much in her journey and of course changed my life. And it was amazing to get away at 15, but also... You know, this was one of those things they try to whitewash. They're like, we let you leave. You wanted to leave. And I had to be like, hey, mom, dad, at 15 years old, I lost everything I know. I was dropped off in a foreign country with zero dollars. And I had to survive. Like, you and, cannot that, and, me, and that's
1: in your book. You don't tell me be... that
2: is not traumatic, even yeah. though it was the better option. Right.
1: So when I when I read that about, you know, your, I guess, sort of escape, how you would climb the walls. You know, it forced me to look at my own exit because, you know, for so long I was physically in and then mentally in. But then, you know, all the all the beatings, all the seclusion, it starts like piling up where I couldn't anymore avoid it. And I asked, hey, I would like to leave. And, you know, they would say, hey, you must be gay or, you know, they would you know make me feel that, you know, wanting to leave is a demonic thing. And I'm asking and asking and beatings and beatings. And so it's like, Hey, you know, I, I found my way, uh, getting out and, you know, getting a girlfriend. And I remember asking again, and of course I wasn't just holding hands. I mean, I really went the whole, the whole nine yards. And then I remember, uh, telling the superiors, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to leave. You know, my vows are finished. I've been done for the past few years. I'm being here without, um, it's pretty much being kidnapped. I'm being trafficked. And so I remember telling the superior, I'm ready to leave. And he was like, No, you can't. God wants you here. You need to be a missionary for God. You need to offer this up. You need to carry your cross. And then I told him, I have a girlfriend. And then it was like, You, you what? You have a girlfriend? Like, what have you done? I'm like, Well, what do you think, dude? And it's like, Yeah, we can't, we can't keep you here because now you're going to, they didn't say infect, but it's very, very similar. The word was infest the mm-hmm. other members with evil spirits. And mm-hmm. so, you know, coming out, I really felt so dirty. And I'm, you know, I'm looking at your journey. When you left, how did you feel uh, trying to uh, get into high school? Because yeah, no, no experience in a regular school system. How did you feel at that point?
2: You know, my at the time, the way 15 year old Daniela explained it to herself was like, I wanted to leave because I wanted to go to college because I wanted to be a lawyer and I wanted to go to high school. Like that was my number one thing was like, I know that the easiest way to college is to go to high school. And so I, you know, I'm approaching the school on the first day and it's like we've been taught to fear high school. We've been taught to fear education, but also just kind of how awful it's going to be. Um, You know, and it was not great. You know, I feel like I, I never broke into any kind of social scene. I just spent two years very alone and, you know, repeating very abusive patterns with relationships. And it wasn't until college that I kind of found my place. But, you know, like what you're saying is just so poignant, because it happens to us in all these different ways. And in my next book, I'm going to have a chapter called They're Free to Leave Anytime. And then all the subtitles are like, keep them scared, keep them skinny, keep them working, right? And it wasn't until I was getting ready to leave the military. And I mean, of course, I wrote a whole book about all the parallels. But I say, one of the strongest, cultiest parallels is when you are ready to leave the military, no matter how much service you've given them, no matter how good your service has been no matter how hard you have worked for them the way you did right like as soon as you want to leave it's go sit over there we're not doing anything else for you please do not infect the younger soldiers with your ideas of freedom in the outside world and oh by the way nobody's going to love you as much as we do on the inside they just call it camaraderie Mm -hmm. right and it was like watching this and like watching these like superior officers trying to fear monger me that I was not going to successfully survive in the outside world and I was like oh my god this you know this parallel and so yeah you know my just just my biggest battle I think my my lifelong battle is being afraid that I don't fit, that I'm too different, that somebody's going to notice. And in high school, you know, my, I say that the two scariest things you could ask me are where are you from and what music do you like? Which makes American high school very challenging, right? Because <laughs> that's what everyone asks. And you know, maybe like another tip I could give cult survivors is like, you don't have to say it to everyone. But when you do find those people that are trying to be your friends, like, just tell them, just whatever you understand about it, just tell them, because people know you're hiding something, but they don't know what. And it's like, so hard to keep track of who you've told different things to, right? So like,
1: yeah, and it's good that you you bring that up, especially for my audience, because I have some ex member friends who have you know reached out to me, and they're saying, uh, Ryan, um, <laughs> the other day for the first time, I told I I met some uh, a new group of friends, and they asked me that same question, you know, where are you from? Uh, not what music, but you know, where are you from? Uh, what's your background? And uh, a few people have told me for the first time, I said. I was in a cult and I was just shaking because it's like, you know, you're, I'm putting myself out there. Um, But I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, you, the context you put is you don't have to tell everybody, but there are some people whom you're trying to, you know, get to know. And they'll, they'll be able to sniff that you're hiding something so i'm i'm glad that you brought that up
2: you know another important thing because i've i've found that survivors of my cult don't really understand this is like there's a difference between living closeted right like there are literally people i know whose spouse doesn't even know that they were born and raised in a cult to like to being in the cult industry, right. To writing a book about your experience or making a movie or like being a public facing person. Like those are not your two only options. I say like there are very good options of just telling your 10 best friends about your experience. And Oh, by the way, you're going to have 10 best friends to tell because you're being open and honest and letting people in. And I, you know, there's, this fear that we have. And I know because I lived in it for 10 years, but once you get through it, it's so painful to watch other people in this fear that if you tell people, they will reject you, you will lose everything you've worked for. And it's, you know, what I say to people now is have you ever found out anyone's story, right? Like you knew me on Twitter before you read my book. I don't think after you read my book, you thought, geez she's so weird or weak or right no
1: not at all oh my
2: god it's incredible that this person went through this and so for me it literally was saying yeah saying to people like oh I grew up in a cult and like first of all people are very intrigued by cults they want to know more they want to understand but also then like they want to help you fit right and like it for me it's been really fun you know i'll do these things on twitter where you know i i finally needed to learn about music because i was writing my book and i needed music and i didn't know anything about music so i would just go on twitter and be like hey help a cult survivor learn music you know and put together these amazing playlists that people would tell me you know and like for me that has been part of integrating but also you know, I think the thing is, like, when you want to study a culture you don't understand, you go read books, you go watch movies, you go, like, interact with, like, art of that culture. And I needed to write a book that I could give to the systemites in my life that loved me, right, or the friends, people in my life that loved me, that were, you know, when Danielle, my friend of best friend of 13 years, read the book, who's known about the cult from day one of knowing me, and she said, you know, I thought that I knew, like, I know your stories. And I thought that I knew, but until I kind of, you know, write a book or make art, if you feel the need to build out the cultural picture of where you are from, for somebody, right. And so in my book, I am building out the culture of what the children of God is like, my, my book adds to people's understanding, other people have done some, but my book really adds to it. And I'm adding to like, the understanding of what the culture is like for women in the military and this like this gives me a goal bigger than just telling your story right because that like, like writers are entertainers and so you you will be used as entertainment you will be seen as entertainment people will say I loved this book that is the outpouring of all of your trauma and for me the the easiest way to do that was First of all take a decade or more before you decide to write your book mm-hmm. and then like figure out like what right what what are you adding to the cultural picture of where you came from and that is a super valid reason to create art and i don't think you're ever going to regret it no matter sort of how successful it is or not
1: i i'm very thankful that uh you've been here today one just one last question um did you find healing in writing this book? And if so, can you, you know, kind of explain a little bit, walk us through like that, the power of healing through writing, or like you mentioned earlier, through art? Like what's so healing about it?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I say that I I hate to fit in these days. So I hate to be so cliche to say that writing a book made me a different person um and you know I'll show your your readers here the art that I did first right so before I I was able to write it I did the paintings okay that I say was uncultured before I found the words um you know just just putting it down in some form of art but what I absolutely found it to be healing absolutely found it to be sort of context you know especially if you write like the whole story of your life you you have to ask yourself all these questions you know i had to admit that i joined the army because of a toxic relationship and you know you're it forces you to deal with things that you wouldn't want to deal with otherwise and what was beautiful for me was i had help writing it and so i had two other women who were helping me like add the emotions back into my experiences because I think one of the ways we survive incredible trauma is disassociating and shutting down our emotions. And I never realized how much I use disassociation until readers started to tell me that I described disassociation so well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a big part of it for, you know, an example is in the the bookworm chapter where I'm taking a diagnostic test for the first time because we're promised we're going to have school. And I'm so excited and you know I'm trying to describe it and and one of the women said to me like did you feel like after always being punished for being too smart finally being smart was going to be worth something right and I was like oh my god not only does that describe how I felt then but it describes like you know a lot of us get into perfectionism after we reject our cult and mine has always been around like being the smartest person in the room right and so it like just this one comment from an outside eye like showed me so much and I think like you know not everyone gets help writing their books but it was such a beautiful analogy of like we all have to learn to tell our stories and I would bet Ryan that like the way you tell your story now being on this journey is like so different from the way you told it when you started off and so like it's it's healing because it forces you to deal with your stuff and it, it breaks you too, but it forces you to deal with your stuff, but also like telling those stories to other people and then getting that feedback from other people, you know, I beautiful experience where like almost every part that some people suggested was boring or I should cut has been a part that somebody reached out to me. and was like, Oh my God, the way you described exactly that, like that was the moment it spoke to me. So yeah, and it's true. It it's
1: it speaks. It speaks to the reader. It speaks to the to the you know other other cult member because you know I'm reading it and I, I mean because you do a lot of uh, running I think you're doing like ten miles and like right now I'm on my own journey of doing one mile but I'm like damn I can if she can do ten miles I'm not gonna do ten miles but like hey like I can step it up and you know because it's you know it's also it's not just a journey of you know because people when I started writing. The reason why I started writing like my blogs and, you know, putting my podcast out there is because I wanted to take control again of my own life. And I was tired of this narrative that, you know, all ex-members from cults are bad. But then the feedback I get from other ex-members is that I'm just trying to do a sob story uh that and it's and it's exactly it's not and and
2: don't listen to them right Mm -hmm. so like i had you know my best friend danielle say this to me and i will say it to everyone that hears this like because i was like oh you know people are gonna say that i am sensationalizing or i'm just doing it for the money and she just looked at me and she said hey if you want to let write the most sensational trash version of your story go on Jerry Springer, make all the money you can. Like that is your right. It is your right to take your story and do whatever you want with it. Right. And I, I really had this journey with the photo because they use this like child labor exploitation photo of me on the cover, because it's very powerful. And I didn't want that because it felt like what you're saying, right? Like, Oh, I'm just trying to get the sob story or the whatever. And I realize like, that is what I am doing with this book, right? I did not get control. The cult, whenever you joined it, like took control away from you of events that happened to you in your life, you are taking back control. Those are your stories. You get to interpret them however you want. And you know, I, I get so much sort of confidence and reinvigoration watching you on this journey and the way you speak about it and the way you are, you know, you are so open about being new and what you don't know. And that is, you know, that is exactly what you need. And I, you know, seven years ago, I think really started writing for real. I've been writing my whole life and I had so many people try to shut me up, like what you're going through and just enough people, didn't tell me my writing was good, because it wasn't necessarily, <laughs> but just be like, keep writing, keep telling the story, right? My, my biggest mentor, and use it's beautiful and unculture, where he's like, find the thread, right? Because that is one of the biggest things that I learned is like you don't know what stories are significant in the story of your life because you're not writing the story of your life for you you're writing it for other people and so it takes time it takes testing it out you know I, I realize now that when I tell the same stories over and over and over again to different people or the same ideas I'm figuring out the best way to say it for my next book like that's what I'm doing and I'm and and that goes into your healing journey, right? Like hearing somebody else, like the term religious prison camps that I have in my book, like I know that it's helped so many other people realize like, oh, well, I didn't think I was getting abused in this cult, but like that, you know? Um, Yeah. So it's, it's beautiful. I love what you're doing. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah. It's been a a total honor. And I was telling you, I was telling uh, Daniela before the interview that my inner child was just, you know, crying of tears of joy because, you know, as a child, I would always go to the library and my, like as a, as a little kid, my dream was to um, speak with authors because I always loved the book. And, you know, back then it's, you know, mostly fantasy. And then I get into horror and different things. But now I guess as an adult, I'm really, you know, I'm getting into that nonfiction, the memoirs, and just that inner child in me. I feel like I'm fulfilling my dreams and to be sitting here uh, speaking with an author of a fabulous book, Uncultured, it's just uh, a dream come true for me. Uh, I bought this. You know,
2: and I would say like when you leave a cult, read broadly, like the fiction, the sci-fi, all of it, right? Because there's ideas in everything and I... You know what you said, right? My my version of heaven, my mansion in heaven, when I was a kid in the cult, the game we would play was just, I'm going to read all the books in the world, right? I'm going to have all the time to read all the books. And being a child for whom all books were banned to write a book that has been critically acclaimed and is selling really well is awesome and beautiful. So, I hope you all read it, and I hope it speaks to you. And please reach out to me on Twitter if you do read it, because I love talking to people on Twitter.
1: Now, will there be a movie? And if so, uh, have you already kind of envisioned who who's gonna play Daniela Young? Who is? What music is gonna be in the movie? Have you already envisioned that?
2: So, if I had my dream, Bella Thorne would play Daniela Young, Um, but not definitely not the music. I would let a music professional do that. Um,
1: Gonna have some Taylor Swift.
2: Definitely, we'll have to have. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um if she's available to play me she can she can play me at 22 like that's fine um i there's no movie in the works yet there's definitely the hope right i think it will make a fantastic mini series like limited eight seasons you know i think like it's it's a perfect mix between like maid meets the vow meets queen's gambit it even has chess um so yes this this is the hope um I think there's just, there's a lot of idea and entertainment that stuff about women in the military doesn't sell. And so I'm hoping, you know, hey, we need more. That means we need more of it, right?
1: Yes, we need more. So thank you so much for sharing not only your journey, but also your book, your thoughts. And I hope that this uh, interview will be helpful for another survivor uh, who might be struggling. So just a a last word uh, for those who are surviving, let's say either uh, domestic abuse or uh cult abuse. Uh, what would be your last word for them?
2: Um. So, you know, if you're from any cult, right? Like, look at terms like toxic control because there's lots of people talking about this. If you're from a Christian cult, look at hashtag exevangelical to connect with your people because. Again, like we're all going through these same things. And there's this very, something I learned from writing my book. is like, I have so much in common with all ex-evangelicals. And the last thought is deconstruction, right? Like there is, there's all of this stuff about deconstruction, which is this journey that you're going on as you get out of your cult. And then I know I mentioned the three steps, right? Which is crack of the brainwashing, leave your cult, figure out the impacts it had on you the third step is learn to go forward without any models right because you've all your models are toxic so mm-hmm. just have grace with yourself understand that is you know what you're going through and don't let yourself think that there's nobody else like you you know and uncultured i go from almost killing myself because i think i'll never relate to realizing like you're not that different there's so many of us out here struggling every every single day um and we would love to talk with you
1: well thank you so much for all this advice and i'm gonna leave i'm gonna i'm going to leave the link below so people can find your book and i'll even leave the uh ted talk because that was also very powerful and if you have um if, if people can reach out to you on twitter and I'll i'll leave that as well so thank you very much everyone you've been listening to the Truth the Hills podcast so with me your host Ryan Anthony Hernandez and with our great guest Daniela Masnyck Young thank you
2: thank you so much